Hello and welcome to Kira Conversations, the show that talks insights into sofas, fabrics, tips and tricks, plus all things design. I'm your host, Justin. In today's episode, we will talk about who we are here at Kira Furniture with Tanya from 141 Consulting. We'll discuss the ins and outs of our brand and what we think of the landscape of furniture and retail right now. Our guest today is Tanya. She's the owner of 141 Consulting, a branding and strategy consulting business with a passion for growth and building true identities. Hi, Tanya. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. So we're here. We made episode one. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. How the are you first feeling? One. Yeah, good. Very excited to talk about the journey that Cura's been on and how we've been able to support in that. Now, Tanya, you've been with the journey with Cura for some time. Well, from its inception, its concept phase. Let's talk a little about that in a little bit of time, but if you wouldn't mind, maybe a bit of a backstory about you and where you've come from and how we connected would be great. Yeah, so um, I started um, the one for one uh, business around three years ago now. Um, I've got a fabulous business partner and um, Maria, and we are both ex-corporate. So um, we spent our years really um, building other businesses and other brands and felt that it was time for a change and that we could support uh, small and mid-sized businesses um, to realise their growth aspirations and how to generate demand for their businesses. So that's where we've come from. Um, when we first started working together, it was um, you were pretty much just starting out. Mm, I remember, yeah. And then when you, when we met and I, you know, we hashed out my ideas and I was really surprised to end up where we are with the brand, with the brand story and the essence of the brand. I mean, coming from a retail background, my thinking was, you know, um, it's all about the revenue, it's all about the sales, it's all about the price point, the transactions. And, you know, we ended up landing with totally different um, position of the brand. So I guess, how did you know or see that that was what I was trying to achieve in the market, but didn't articulate it. How, how do you find that in, in a business or in a person? Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting that you say that you came from the retail, the sales background, because what I would say is that it was all in your head from the very inception. You just didn't have it down on paper. And we find that with a lot of small and mid-sized businesses that um, in fact, we did some research that says 75% of small businesses actually don't have a plan written down. And that is why a lot of small businesses are failing. So the, the, the way that we actually um, get the information out of the, the person's mind, if you like, is um, asking questions. So right. I remember we were sitting in the shell of a of a um, space, of a showroom, and there was no furniture in there. There was no pieces. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, mm. and um, we sat there, and I think I had a, um, a scrapbook, an art book, and I said, tell me about what you want to achieve. Tell me what you want to this business to actually be and how you want to behave in the marketplace. Mm. And out of that conversation came essentially what Cura is today. So... Cura, the the brand, the the meaning of Cura, the you know the the 
the wording of curies to curate. So I guess a lot of people in the e-retail business, clothing, footwear, furniture, the general perspective of the landscape is we go in, we don't want to be talked to, we don't want to be helped, leave us alone, then we'll come back and we'll go look around, we'll shop around and we'll, we'll, we'll make a decision predominantly off price. So for us being very non-transactional, thanks to your, um, you know, your crafting of, uh, of an amazing, you know, document that helped us on our way. So I guess what is the, what do you see as the difference between a small business like ours um, and another small business that's in the same landscape of retail? And, you know, I guess we should probably explain to people what we actually do. Mm. So Cura is a um, is a, an experience-led retail business that manufactures locally made uh, customised sofas. So in essence, we work with clients to design and install and manufacture uh, lounges and basically anything upholstery and fabric uh, for their home, all made in Sydney, um, all from sustainable timbers and you know, the journey we offer for our clients is to enjoy the process of purchasing a sofa uh, or, a, or a bed or, you know, and, and removing the stress of it. We, we found that the general population couldn't stand going and buying a sofa. It was such a, a heartache, a headache. It was like, oh, we've got to go buy a sofa. So I guess from our side, our, 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 one of our main drivers is to bring joy to people who want to buy a sofa. Hmm. Now, yep. all of the ins and outs of that and how that all happens is very convoluted and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes and I guess the biggest thing that your business was able to bring to our business was the ability to formulate structure, clarity around branding, marketing direction, the whys. So I guess the way you brought it to us was we had to create pillars of the business and why, why do you need pillars in a business? Like, why do you need a, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So I might just take a step back because you said how, originally you said, how is my business different from other businesses operating in this space? And I think that the benefit, as much as your vision for where you wanted to take this business and this brand from the that first meeting we had, it was as much about what you didn't want to do with this brand. So what your brand stood for and what your brand stood in opposition of. Right, that is, yep, yep, I So understand. you were very clear in your, um, in your mind that you wanted to, you didn't want to do it like everybody else does it. The, so when you say that, didn't want to do it like everyone else, what does that mean? So you didn't want to do the sales. You mm. didn't want to do the transaction. So you wanted to get sales, sure, but so you we, didn't want to yep. make it transactional. Yep. You wanted to give people that experience. You mm. had... Um, so many different examples of what you wanted to do, and and throughout your journey, you've you've tested and learned, and mm. you've you've learned, and then you've used those learnings to build into your experience going forward. And um, I will um, just draw on a, um, I guess, a memory that I've got um, when you opened um, a showroom. Uh, your first showroom is. 
We came in and we, um, I guess, just um, followed you, shadowed you for, for the half an hour. So just to see what the experience would be like. And you delivered every single thing to that um, consumer, that experience that you said you would in that first instance. So can we, when you say that, I guess um, we can run through the steps. So I guess for everyone to understand is traditionally you want to purchase, you, you, let, let's say you've just gotten married or you've just gotten a new apartment with your just partner. Just moved out with your girlfriend. Or you've just moved out and... with your girlfriend or what, whatever the situation is and, oh, we need to get a sofa. So we go online, we check, oh, no, we don't want to buy off, off, off something off the website. Let, let's, let's go into the store. So you walk into the store and you're faced with what? You're faced with, oh, hi, can I help you? Oh, hi, what are you looking for? Oh, hi, is there anything I can show you? So these classic questions that are, are generally annoying, <clears throat> we wanted to break that down and basically have our customers coming into us and greeted with, Friendliness, openness, a coffee, um, a cold drink, um, whatever they feel comfortable with, we, we had that on offer mm. and we have that on offer. And the reason we do that is we are trying to remove that stigma. So I guess what, when you say you, you shadowed me, what, yes. what did you see that was different to what I just said then? So it was not just those tangible or physical um, things that you offered as part of the experience, but it was the questions that you asked in a non-transactional way. It mm. wasn't, I think for me, it wasn't about the sale of the sofa. You weren't trying to close a sale during that experience. You were trying to educate mm. yep. that consumer. And build the relationship. And exactly. And I think that's where so so many other businesses, even the larger players in your, um, in your landscape, they fall over because it's based on a transaction. So, um, yeah, that's how I would answer that first question. The second question around the pillars. Um, so you're an experience-led business, and I know experience... Um, so I think a lot of people may think experience, oh, we experience like you buy an experience. Yeah, so um, let me reframe that for, for the listeners. It's about the notion that every single time you interact with someone, you can leave them more positively predisposed or more negatively predisposed. And the ambition with everybody walking through um, the showroom door or whether they're interacting you, with you on Instagram or on a, fa um, a website inquiry, you want them to have the very best experience and be left more positively predisposed. I remember you actually said, because the person that um, you were serving, the transformation, the transformational journey that they went on, they were very close to begin with. And at the end, they were asking so many questions and leaning into the discussion. Mm. Now, you um, quoted something up for them. They left and I said, do you reckon you'll get that sale? And you said... I'd like to, to hope so, but what, where I get my energy from is that person's just left with more information and education to make the right choice for them, whatever that is. Well, I think it's just the people, the general population, when they're purchasing anything, I think it's only fair to explain to them, okay, there's a sofa, I don't, I don't know anything about it, but it's got a fabric on it and it's 
it's got two seat cushions on it, but people don't have the understanding. There's there's so many uh, there's so many you know titles or in the industry. Oh, that's a two seater. That's a three seater. That's a this. That's a that. But at the end of the day, it's just it's a sofa. Mm, something you sit on and it's something you sit on, on and that you want to be able to sit on whether you want it soft or hard or deep or shallow or you want a higher back or. But people are just shocked when you start to explain to them around the construction of it and they kind of look at you, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And I guess the biggest thing that uh, my biggest thing is, is that it's very easy to open a showroom. Mm. It's very easy to put furniture in a showroom, you know, having been in this industry for 15 years and put signs on the building and people come in and you just sell them stuff. And you go home at night and say, oh, I sold this much today. But from our side, from working with you, it was more about selling the education and selling, Mm. you know, giving people knowledge. And it was just, it still surprises me to this day that people become clients because, and they will spend that, you know, extra um, 30 or 40% because, you know, we're we're all made here in Australia. Mm. Like we're not, we cannot compete with an import, but people are buying from us on a like-to-like basis, but on a design, for example, but paying the premium because of the education and their understanding of the product. And like, I just think it's, it's a great thing. And mm. I think that the, I guess, you know, without land locking down on that too much, I mean, we've touched on the landscape of retail and we've touched on, you know, the way we like to operate as a business. And I guess, Every business has got a weakness. Every business has its, um, you know, ways of not being successful. So I guess what do you see as a trap door, so to speak, or a, mm. something that our business could suffer from? Yeah, I think that um, the biggest risk for any business is that your competitors catch up to you. So... Um, the fact that you're, um, and this is where we like to invest our energy, is working with clients that are disruptors in the industries and the landscapes that they work within. Um, but you can only be a disruptor if you're continuously evolving what that disruption looks like. And So I'm, how do you feel we do that? So you test and learn quite a lot. So, And some of the things have me scratching my head in terms of um, ideas that you have. Uh, but So you I, mean from a design perspective or from a, everything. a so, showroom layout or from a, like the way that the showroom looks or, you know, we, you know, we obviously do small things around the scenting of the showroom to give people a comfort of smell. Are these, yeah. are these the things you're, you're yeah, referring to? Yeah, they are. And I think that they're very, um, they're probably more obvious and, you know, they are again, the physical and tangible, um, the pieces, but you know, like I remember, I don't know, it must have been, you know, but it was pre-COVID. Um, you had this notion of um, what if we offered a concierge service? What if we went, uh, people actually made bookings and we went and sent uh, UberX and sent them to pick them up, bring them in, their drink would be there on arrival. You, I guess the purpose is maybe not so much the concept, but the purpose was to enhance the experience and offer something extra and redefine what um, your version, what a curated cura experience could look like. Mm. And I think um, 
whether, and I know you didn't go ahead with that one, but you tested it and you got experience, you got learnings from it that have, you've then worked in how people like to be engaged with. And I think that they're all learnings. And I think that most businesses set and forget. So your point of difference in the market is being an experience-led So do you business. believe that you can offer that experience and service ongoing and can innovation be too much and, you know, can you create too much going on and too many balls in the air? Are you better to, you know, focus on, I guess we better come back to, you know, referencing these pillars that, mm. that, that you structured for us. Um, one was the experience. Yeah, the others, I, I, to answer, because that's a, um, I guess, a couple of questions in there. I think that you, innovation, you have to be considered with. So innovation for innovation's sake is, you know, it's costly for any business, no matter how big you are. So you mean innovation just for the sake of doing it? Yeah. Right. So, but innovation to test and learn, innovation to get experience into your business, um, innovation that may lead to or is a stepping stone to something bigger. I think that so long as you're, um, you're purposeful in how you're going about it and you're f um, considered in how you're going about it. So what we've collectively done is you've got a plan that of how your innovation is rolled out. So you're not hitting the marketplace with five pieces of innovation at once where they're overwhelmed and it's, gosh, Cura's, you know, schizophrenic. They're, they're mm, doing yeah, everything. Of course. Whereas you're quite considered in how you introduce um, innovation, how you build one piece of innovation off another. Um, and innovation isn't just the product. It's, you know, your showroom experience. It's your online experience. It's your social media experience. Um, how you work with... Um, partners and partnerships part exactly. and collaborations. And, and that's and probably a nice lead in into or segue into the pillars. So, yeah, we developed um, some key pillars for your business. So your sandpit, if you like, your brand sandpit to play within is all about curating wonderful experiences that leave people more positively predisposed, which you've proven works because a lot of your business now is based on referrals. So you know that there's um, the, the consumer is warm to that idea. So your sandpit to play within is that, and then you work out how do I actually talk to them? How do I actually go to market and structure my um, demand generating ideas? And that's where the pillars come into play. I mean, we did face a lot of pushback from staff around warming to those pillars and warming to the way of selling, so to speak. Um, and oh, why why don't you just do it like this? Or you know, how come we're not on sale? Or why don't we, mm. you know, do it like the this other brand? Or so from our side, fast furniture was also a big topic. Mm -hmm. So I have discussed this many many times with with many people that there is no limit on these big box retailers that are importing these containers loads and loads of furniture, be it timber, lounges, beds, mattresses, you know, from the shores of, of Asia or Europe. And you're like, don't get me wrong, I have no issue with any other brand, mm. right? 
I have a lot of respect for what everyone does in any any brand within my landscape, but I just find it it just it just blows my mind that the amount of volume that must come in on those ships go into a warehouse, get moved three or four times, and then up in someone's house, and then three years later they throw mm. it out. I you know, they just it ends up on the street. Yeah. And I think to myself, if we can if we can talk to a small percentage of people that that's what's happening and they become a value client and they buy a sofa from us or a piece from us. And like, we've had people that we, we sell to them and then you, you don't hear from them until they come back and maybe order something else or their friend comes back. Like mm. we don't have problems. Mm. And I think that, um, I don't know whether you remember this, but when we first started working together, I would get random text messages uh, from you late into the night where you were just incredibly incensed with a photo, like there was this, like, I just don't understand it with a photo of a lounge dumped on the side of a road. And I used to get (laughs) those all all the time. And I think that... um, Well, I think that fashion has... has creeped its way into furniture. Yeah. But what I would say is at the minute, um, there seems to be a return to um, made to last. So I think that... um, Do you think COVID has something to do with that? Yeah, I think... Yeah, to some degree, I do think there is. I think that... um, People have a more heightened awareness of sustainability and the impact on the environment. And I do think that... um, um, probably five years ago, furniture was seen more as disposable and more fashion-driven. But now I would say, particularly, that's a great parallel, actually, the fashion industry, they are now pushing back on, um, just, you know, everything being disposable. So, um, you know, you can see I just got an email from Country Road um, this morning that um, was talking about their one of their ranges is made from recycled products. And, I mean, everybody is doing their own version of it, but I think that there is consumer pushback and a real desire to keep things for longer, and that's why it's playing so well for, um, for your business in the demand space. So we are also not a big believer of we want more, more, more. So mm. from our perspective, it's about supporting the local manufacturers. So we work with hand-picked manufacturer who manufactures for us, and we work with those manufacturers to support them. We, we don't work with those manufacturers to pressure them to make things more cost-effective or mm. cheaper. So and when a manufacturer looks at a design and you talk to them and they show you, you know, our manufacturer gives us a price, we, we take that price. Mm. We don't take that price and say, oh, we want, we want you to do it cheaper because we want to make more money. Well, I think everybody through the value chain needs to make their fair shares. And so long as nobody's over-gouging, then... Well, it's, it's, it, is, it, is a, it is a discussion that we will have um, in maybe the, the next episode or the one after where we will talk to a manufacturer and you can hear firsthand the ups and downs of the industry and the pressures that they face to survive in what they would say is a, um, a dwindling industry of local manufacturing because the days of, you know, a manufacturer being supported by, you know, retailers is is fast on the decline. So I guess our objective is to let people 
I guess one of my biggest things is I just really want people to be connected with an emotion to a product they buy mm. from us. So when they are going through the journey, they leave and say to their friends, oh, you know, we went in, you know, visited this, 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 um, you know, this studio boutique and this is what they do. And oh, I was just amazing. And then they get their lounge and they're just, every, they're just really happy with it. Mm. They don't and get it and say, oh, it's not. Uh, and even if they're not happy with it in some capacity, what, what do we do? We, we fix it. We, mm. we, we, we re-engineer it. Whatever we need to do to make our clients happy is what we commit to. So we're a piece by piece business. Mm. And I think that um, at the heart of everything, people buy sofas to sit on with their family and friends and to create memories, you know, so that you want to give them that at the end of the day. You don't want to, you don't want to give them, sell them on this beautiful experience and then have the product not deliver to the concept that you've sold them on. So I think that um, from that perspective, your focus, not just um, at the front part uh, of the whole, I guess, the purchase decision and then the post-purchase decision, you know, you're there. So if, uh, and I have heard um, where people have come back, um, it's a, more on the minutia than the, the um, scale, but people come back and say, oh, I, I actually think I want it a bit softer. You actually at um, quite go to quite lengths to actually make that happen for them. So I'll tell you how it would normally happen. If you purchased um, a sofa from most other retailers, you know, these large organisations, the process from the sales member or team or manager or store owner is generally one of, oh, well, that's what you chose. Mm. You get what you that, get and you don't get yeah. upset. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the pushback straight away. Yeah. And... You know, the customers obviously, well, oh, okay. And they either accept it, go home and live with it mm. or throw it out mm. or they're just not, or mm. they go back and mm. say, no, I'm not happy with that. Yeah. So then it's, okay, well, bring us, bring us a seat in, for example, let's have a look at it. Mm. So then they would bring the seat in and then the retailer would, you know, consult with foam manufacturers or push it back to the manufacturer and, you know, ask them for a solution. So normally... Most of them don't have an upfront solution. I just think the best way is to cut through that and just fix it mm. because you've got a happy person. Like, don't you want someone to be happy with, you don't want them leaving, being, going home and sitting on it and thinking this is just not comfortable and just being miserable. Like, I just think it's, I, I think it's easier yeah, but that's, um, and I think that's where your business is unique because a lot of people push back and, you know, I said earlier, what you get what you get and don't get upset. People, once they've closed that sale, it stops. It stops. There's no thought of it. And then the thought is, oh, well, how are you going to, how do you scale a business, Justin? How, how can you, how can you have a bigger footprint if you're so passionate about fixing problems? Because and I guess that comes back to is that we don't have a lot of problems. Mm, exactly. So when we have a problem, we have to deal with it, in my opinion, how I would like something dealt with. Mm, of course. So um, I think back to your, um, you, you mentioned something earlier that for me is something of where you've evolved the business to. So it's not just about the experience that they receive at the front end. You're trying to create memories and 
emotions. And I think that you've worked really hard uh, with us around collaborations that display that. I mean, it's been, it hasn't been a smooth ride. <laughs> Let's be honest. It hasn't. There's but... a lot of balls in the air and there's been a lot of stress and there's been a lot Absolutely. of pressures. But and, as is any small and business. Land, you and... know, our business has, you know, reshaped itself quite dramatically. And, you know, there's always a story to be told. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I would say is you've evolved. But I don't think we've lost our true essence of the brand. No, absolutely not. And I, But I think that the way you curate your story in terms of with your um, collaborations that you do, you, you're not just looking for um, somebody to sit on a lounge and take a selfie. It's the joy that that sofa or that bed or that um, armchair that brings that person. And I just think that that echoes through most, um, if not all, of the experiences that your clients have with you. And if we talk competitors, what's your, how do we, how, how, do, how did you feel our focus should be around competitors and, because uh, there is competitors sure. in the market. There is um, people that are independent retailers or chain of retailers that, you know, support locally. I, I just wanted to be clear, there's mm. lots of businesses supporting local made. We're, we're, we're not the yeah. only one. Yeah. I'm just really excited and passionate about trying to maintain, I guess it's, you know, a little bit of my background, having been in manufacturing and retail for a long time and, and uh, you know, living abroad in manufacturing, I, I it just excites me. Mm. Like it's, I look at a, a, a timber frame, you know, being made and I just get excited. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. What I would say. Um, so competitors. Yeah. From a competitive standpoint, I'm, I always work to the rule of being formed, but not driven by what they're doing. So I think that it's very important, which you do, you respect your competitors, you respect the big box players, if you like, and you respect the independent players because there's learnings to be had from them and they do what they do well. What I would say though is we look outside into related worlds to see what competitors are doing from an experience perspective for you. Yes, yeah, so it's not about that person's making this sofa, so I'm going to make it as well. No, no. No, I mean, what I think, I think what listeners need to understand is your product is bloody good. So it, it is quality. It is amazing to look at. Um, it gives you comfort like no other. Like it's, it's a great product that lives up to your promise. Where you overlay versus your competitive set is the experience and the curated story that you share with them and the education that you give them. And I think that you mentioned earlier on in the, in the um, chat around it took your team a little bit to get their heads around this way of doing things. Yeah, it was a very <clears throat> difficult and I think transition into getting, getting them to engage in the personality of the potential client, not just, oh, can I, can I help you? Yeah. And we spent a lot of time, I remember, educating them on not just the product. I mean, product knowledge is first and foremost because education of your uh, clients and consumers 
is part of your experience. So they need to have that as, you know, ground zero. But I think um, it was there was a very clear strategy around embedding. So an example of that would be, oh, um, I really love this so far. Um, it's too long. So the answer back to them is, oh, we, we fully customise. How long would you like it? Oh, a three-seater. So politely you would say to them, well, what is a three-seater? Like, because it has three seats, that's the three-seater. Yeah, what, you're challenging yeah, their so what, thinking. Yeah, so it was always done respectfully. Of and course. Sometimes it was a little bit, have some tension in there because they were like, oh, what do you mean? That's a three-seater sofa. Mm. What do you think I am, stupid? So once they understand we can make to any length, so please tell us the wall that it's going on. Is it going on a wall? Yes, it is. How long's that wall? Are the walls, oh, how long's it? Oh, it's three meters. Mm. Oh, so we'd recommend a two, eight, two, 280 centimeter sofa. Mm. Then, oh, but we've got kids and we're worried about the fabric or we've got a pet or, so then we would introduce washable fabrics. We would introduce slip covers. We would introduce a, a it just opens up the conversation and they're, the surprise that comes mm. over their face. And sometimes they would ask, you would have to repeat yourself three or four times, oh, we can make it to any length. Mm, because they don't, people, they just they're not, not used wired to it. that way because no. of how they've been, how they've experienced your landscape in other and parts. And as you know, we're very active in competitor research. Mm. We, myself, um, you know, or my, you know, someone in the team is, is, is always out and about, hmm. you know, testing the waters and visiting stores and sitting on product and talking to staff. And, and I think it's really important to take that information and, you know, uh, filter it into a better way of operating. And filter it through your brand lens. Yeah, not not a not a not filter it in order to make more money. Mm. Filter it in a way to, to make, enhance enhance mm. the product for the for the for the person who's buying it. Mm. And I think what I guess the next thing is is like what do you see? What's next? Like what 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 what's I mean? What more can a I mean? People would say, "Oh, you're just a sofa shop." Like big deal. Mm. You just sell sofas. Mm. So I guess this podcast is one thing, mm. you know, sure. having this to, as an outlet to, you know, talk to people like yourself and listeners to learn. And, you know, we, you know, I, I, I think I even spoke to you beforehand about, I would love to have other retailers on here yeah, to talk did, about yeah. their business and, and, um, let's see, let's see if they yeah. welcome the idea yeah. of, let's see if, if, if these, you know, bigger retailers would love to come and talk to me. I think it's, you know, we did talk about that before and I think it's a really, it's a great idea because what what a, the Australian public needs is for the whole ex retail landscape to lift. And so if everybody gets on board, there's enough to go around. So I think that if we can, if we can get some on, that'd be uh, fantastic. Yeah, I think, um, I think it would be an amazing experience to, you know, have somebody, you know, in the similar space to come on and, and, uh, and just, just maybe we miss, maybe we're misunderstanding it all. Maybe my understanding of it is, 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 um, wrong. Um, but I just, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm difficult. Every, most places I go, I'm, I'm never impressed. <laughs> so... Um, because because you have an expectation of how you how you would treat others. So, look, I think that um, 
how how far can this go? I think it's about continuously improving and evolving and redefining what you are offering, whether that be product experience um, through different technology and so on. But I think just the one piece of advice I'd give listeners and other small businesses working on this themselves is don't deviate from the core of what your brand stands for um, because it can you can very quickly lose your way. So it's about improving within your sandpit and doing it so much better than you did it 12 months ago, six months ago, three months ago. So are you, um, just a little bit off topic, we've probably chatted a fair bit about, you know, what, what, um, what we do as a brand and what we'd, uh, love to be achieving. And, uh, you know, I guess are you, what have you seen, um, out in the landscape of what you do with your strategic and branding business? Are you noticing, you know, a more focus around customer experience, client experience, um, you know, uh, knowledge, you know, around, you know, if you go and order a, a particular fish from a restaurant, the, the weight stuff, know what the fish is and where it's from. <clears throat> what are you, what are you seeing is, is, is what I'm, is what I'm saying just all in my head? Mm. Like, no, am I no. just a crazy Look, I think, um, person who thinks, oh, well, that's how all businesses should be. And it's unrealistic. No, no, no. I, I mean, I think that, um, your expectations are high, Justin, and I think that that's why your business um, continues to evolve and take shape. I think from our other clients, um, the biggest piece of advice I can give is, and the biggest frustration um, that I, I have is that people are still fixated or businesses are still fixated on themselves versus serving their um, customer, end user, end eater, whatever it is, whoever their consumer is. And I think that um, that if you are only telling your consumer about yourself, it's a one-sided conversation. What, what do you mean by that? So as an example, let's talk products because, you know, at the end of the day... Just a really simple example. Yeah. So if you're only telling people the... Um, attributes of your product. So what your product does, this is, um, you know, how to use it. They're very self-serving, very self-serving points of communication. How I'd flip that is talking more about the benefits of what that product can bring to the lives of the person that you're trying to position it with. Right. So that's probably the biggest mindset shift. And that's, so people are, are thinking about it, but the the biggest frustration that I have is that they're still talking about themselves and not putting themselves in the mindset of their consumer. So I'm sure you work with an array of industries and small to medium sized businesses. Are you seeing that across a small business that might be for example, uh, let's, they might be a graphic designer mm. and then you might work with someone who's a, a multiple, you know, has multiple food um, outlets throughout Australia. Mm. So are you seeing that mindset across 
both scales of the story or are you only seeing it from the larger guys or do you see it, think, oh, the more turnover, the less work we're going to do, oh, we want to do less work and make more versus the graphic designers, like, I'll do more work yeah. to make less. Uh, look, I think it's a universal truth, but what I would say is that the hungrier and the smaller you are, or I should say the smaller you are, the hungrier you are. So I see... Um, very small clients going the extra yard and putting discretionary effort in and really trying to put themselves in the um, consumer or the end user's mindset. Um, there is a degree of complacency at that higher end. Um, well, we make products. We know that they sell. Um, why do we have to do this? Um, so you've worked for some big mm. multinational, international brands in in, for example, where you've been at Nestle and so Colgate. So are these the type of, um, you know, you worked at, um, where, where else have you been? Oh, Lion. Y- yeah, yep, Lion. Lion. Yep. So these are the, these, these are big businesses. Mm. So when you were um, in those roles, uh, did you ever, is, are you only seeing this now because you have now walked away from that corporate world and you've built your business. Did you see it back then? Yeah, I think um, it was particularly in the, so from a demand generation and a business growth perspective and marketing, it's gone through many phases of um, focus, if you like. So it was all product focus back in the, you know, probably pre-80s. Then it was more brand focused and then it was more edging into more experience focus. So the um, two words that are probably most overused in any industry is customer experience. Yeah. But so many people do it, or so many businesses do it poorly because they're still coming at it from the perspective of me versus them. What is What are those people that I'm expecting to vote with their wallets? What do I need to convince them of what are the benefit, how is it making, enhancing their lives and adding value versus just looking at it from my lens. I think it's always been there. I think um, big businesses find it harder to crack than smaller businesses. Is it a culture within the the ranks of the business, within the staff? Is it, is it, is it someone has to come across, come into a larger business, say a larger business with, you know, 50 employees versus a business that has five employees, Mm. obviously moving the five employees across to a new mindset is probably a lot more flexible than someone with 50. So how are you seeing people doing that? They're coming in with a broom and just sweeping everyone out? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's, so how I would answer that is that the bigger businesses, there's a bit of complacency. So they're used to getting the volume and the turnover, the top line revenue in. Um, so there, there is that complacency, which is, you know, to be frank, it's, it's a little ugly to see. On the flip side, it's, there's also that tone of, well, we've always done it this way. Why do we need to change? We've been successful 
to this point. And what I would say to those businesses is um, what served you to get here may not serve you moving forward. Um, so, that, you know, there is challenges that every um, large business is facing in this market at, the, at this minute in terms of um, sales and turnover and so on. So it's not just a small business thing um, or a big business thing or a medium-sized business. What I would say is smaller businesses are often um, started from a passion point. So people seem to be more passionate about their business, which I think is symptomatic of owner-led and founder-led businesses versus big multinationals. But the big multinationals were once a small business. Yeah. And also when it comes to dealing with problems like how do you how do you go in as a a um into these bigger businesses and tell them that they've got problems because i would assume that the management at the top are like oh i'm getting my job's at jeopardy like i don't want problems yeah i think it's um it's surprising because you know you're always going to face conflict and tension um coming in, I understand that, but you've been brought in for um, a reason and people want, they might not, they might not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. So I think it becomes, it comes down to behaviours and how you share the information versus um, making, making it feel safe to share that information so that um, they're thinking about the bigger picture, not themselves and how it's going to impact their role. So let's just um, swap out to small business. Mm. Do you feel that people are supporting small businesses? Are they are they making a conscious decision to say, um, I'm in Woolworths and I'm going to buy my coal cuts or I'm in Coles or I'm in one of the, the, the bigger brands? And they look at it and think, you know what, I'm going to go and buy my you know ham from the local delicatessen or I'm going to buy it from the local corner store. Mm. Uh, do you, you know, do you think, oh, someone's at home and, oh, let's go down and have dinner at the local Italian restaurant? Yeah. Do you believe that Australia or Sydney as a society is starting to look at that and think, how can we, what can I do as a person to support those local businesses? And do you think people actually sit at home and say, oh, I wonder if that coffee shop down the road is really struggling and... I'll, I'll go and I'll go and have breakfast tomorrow. Let's all go for breakfast there tomorrow, and you know, spend a hundred bucks and help them. Do, do, I just wonder who thinks that because I think that. <laughs> yeah, right? I and, think. But but I find that so many people don't think that. They yeah, just think, think, oh well, too bad. So I think that there's yeah, there's two two um, I guess two modes happening. Certainly since um, COVID. We've seen a um, support local um, by Australian, um, a fascination with this market um, and ensuring that small businesses are supported. I think that there is COVID um, for all of the bad that it's bought, I think, and certainly a lot of small businesses have got done so tough and unfortunately a lot have departed from, from their um, businesses. But I do think that there is more consciousness around that now and supporting local and Australian. Um, 
Australian is in Australian made, you mean? Yeah, yeah. and I think certainly, I mean, it's massive from a food perspective right. and food safety and um, Australia is one of, perceived as one of the safest markets and certainly... Um, from a food manufacturing? Yes. Right, yeah. okay. So For export or local consumption? Both. Okay. Both, but I think that it's heightened awareness around that now locally. I think um, it's... Well, it's in- interesting. It's not just Australian-made sofas. There's plenty of Australian-made products. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, um, yes, I think that, that, you know, to some degree can, um, people would be thinking, oh, I'll go up to my, you know, corner store and buy this. Oh, let's go up to and grab a coffee here um, because I know it's, you know, it's supporting in my area. And I think that there is that sort of um, even more local, so hyper-local, so in my geographical region, 5Ks, that kind of thing. What I do think, though, the um, big businesses are doing very well is they are re-engineering and reshaping their business to authentically talk local, so um, in the categories that they can. So talking about how they're supporting farmers from this specific region as an example. And I think only good can come from that so long as nobody's losing in the, you know, in the value chain and everyone's being, um, getting their fair share and the end consumer isn't disadvantaged. Do you think that the local manufacturers of produce, products, fashion, do you feel the wheels may be slightly turning back towards them to have a little bit more say in how things are done and from a price perspective. I mean, we all hear it. We all see it in the in in the media that local farmers are strangled by prices of milk or local farmers are strangled by the prices of wheat or local manufacturers of, you know, um, you know sh- T-shirts, you know, can't produce the shirt for the cost that is required. I, I just feel that there's a sense in the air that that may be shifting where people are starting to think or businesses are starting to think we need to invest in our suppliers, not only invest in them by giving them continuous orders or continuous business, but invest in their well-being, uh, invest in their productiveness, in their growth, because it only benefits everyone. Mm. So that's just what I field what what do you do you see that happening or you don't or what's your yeah I think it's it's a you know interesting concept and um consumer sentiment will be interesting to see where it lands right because investing in local um raw materials whatever your business is in comes at a cost and it also comes at for some of the bigger scale businesses can the local um, suppliers actually produce what, at scale, the bigger businesses need? So I think that that's, you know, like really multi-layered. And um, I think price needs to um, be looked at. So to make sure that, you know, it's not so ridiculously high that the Australian consumer can't actually, it's not accessible. And that the products, though, are quality. Yeah. Well... I guess the, um, you know, it's, 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 it's just a really interesting time for a lot of businesses and, you know, for our business, we've, we've got some great things in the pipeline and lots of those things you're, you know, on board with. And I guess from, you know, is there, is there any, 
is there any last sort of quick, you know, um, advice you want to give to the listeners around, you know, if they're going through a tough time, you know, from a competitive set or an innovation or, you know, they're just, they're just not getting the, the traction that they want or they're feeling a bit, you know, what do I do? You know, what's your, what's your yeah. closings? Like, I think that like this in, is where you give your business a plug. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, um, in times of, you know, some, you know, it varies from chaos to, you know, um, hardship and, you know, trying to work out which direction you should take next. I think it absolutely should come back to what matters most to you. So what do you value as a business or a brand or as a person most and let that be your North Star? So should they write this down or what? Yeah, what's I mean, a quick way for somebody who's you know, what do they do? Can they, can they, or can they reach out to you to get a... Yeah, of course. Some, of course. Some, I'm some... never going to turn anybody away. <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, we run discovery sessions that cost nothing, but give people, you know, we always find that um, at the end of it, our, you know, clients are saying, I went with you because of that discovery session, because you gave me something of value. So and what's a discovery session? So a discovery session is, hey, this is where my business is at today. Um, it could be, I don't know how to grow it or what am I doing wrong? My P&L um, isn't yielding what I need it to and I can't see how I'm going to grow into the future or I'm actually not sure how who my consumer is. I don't know who to talk to. Do you get surprised when you see people with a business and you th they tell yes. you that and you think, how, how, how? <laughs> How did you how do did you, it? How did you even get here? Yeah. I, if you um, don't know it. But to I'm be fair, we were like that. Yeah, we were exactly the same. But I'm constantly inspired by that because I, I think, wow, you've done that based on what you know now. Imagine if you could unlock the next phase of growth with some simple tools and what that could do and the energy that you could get from that. So I don't know, I, I do, I'd go, my goodness, how did you grow the business to this? But, you know, all respect, hats off. One last thing, social media. What's your, is it, is it on the up still? Is it on the plateau? Is it on the, what's the trajectory? What's your opinion of it? Oh, look, um, social media is... Because let's face it, you're very active on social media. <laughs> I think um, social media is a cost of entry these days for any business. Um, you need to be curated. You need to be very clear on the pillars of and how you, you want to talk. So your tone of voice, how you want to show up. We talk a lot in our business um, and to our clients about how you show up is everything because unfortunately people, particularly on social media, um, form an opinion quite quickly. So when you say show up, what do you mean? So um, from your branding, so from colors, your visual identity. Story, yeah. Logo. And your tone of right. voice, how you're communicating. Are you being human? or are you being educational or are you there just to entertain or engage or enable your consumer to do something off the back of the information you give them? What I would say is it's horses for courses. So um, there are many social media platforms, so you can't blanket say, oh, yes, you need to be there and spend big. You do need to be there, but you need to be selective 
um, in how you go to market in those um, different platforms. And there will be probably another three or four in 12 to 18 months' time. Um, so I think, you know, what was normalised, what is normalised today is actually going to be receding in the future and new platforms yeah, are going amazing, to actually, yeah. Have like I was only. Have you seen that new app, Milk? The what's it called, Milk Run? Yeah. So you know good. they just raised seventy five million dollars. Good on them. And the guy who started it was one of the founders of Koala Mattresses. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what I heard or read or I heard it on another podcast was he took the same strategic approach they had with. So they they looked at the mattresses at Koala and said, "How can we disrupt the mattress industry? Yeah. We can do that by offering a high quality, comfortable mattress with a sleep guarantee that's delivered to your door within the same day or two mm, days. Right. No one was doing it. Yeah, yeah. And they've gone on Purely to kill it, right? yep. They've now got furniture and they do a whole lot of stuff. So he took that same thinking. The disruptive and, yeah, mindset. and thought, how can I deliver groceries to people in a localized area mm. within a time frame? And he's doing that. So- mm. But it's really interesting how, how they're doing it. So they're actually doing it. They're not pulling stock from other retailers. Mm. So they'll lease a shell, mm. a low-cost shell in a localized area. They will employ part-time, full-time casual staff yeah, who are riders, right. shelf stackers, pickers. They will then order particular stock, food items, fruit, whatever it may be mm. for that area. So they'll do market research what that area goes through. And then they will stock it and deliver it to you through their app within 10 minutes. Mm. So the food or the produce or the products that they have in Bondi versus, you know, Bankstown will be different. Mm, right, yeah. And then they will deliver that within 10 minutes. And So that's a great example. They've been going being, for six months and yeah. they've, they've just raised that amount of money. Fabulous. The, what, what, that's a great example of knowing your consumer and also being disruptive. I just think he's smart. He is bloody smart. Smart as, like... <laughs> You know, like, mm. unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for coming, Tanya. I've really enjoyed the uh, the conversation. That's all today uh, for our Cura Conversations for this episode. We will see you all in a couple of weeks where we will be joined by a f good friend of Cura who has supported us with design and lots more. <laughs> <laughs>